Welcome to the Mapped Out Money podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money resources page. So if you go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash resources, you'll find a link to all of our favorite books and podcasts and uh, YouTubers that we have found helpful for both personal growth and uh, money. And it's also a great way to support us because uh, most of the links on there, especially the ones for Amazon books, uh, are affiliate links. And so if you use those links, uh, we will get a small commission from any purchases that you make. So if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Again, that link is mappedoutmoney.com forward slash resources. Today's episode is based on an article that you found Nick and have been excited about. Yeah, I, um, I came across Nat Eliason's blog. I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. Who is he? What he, does he do? He runs a, a company called Growth Machine. Um, he basically has a couple of different uh, niche websites. He's a he's a marketing guy, but he he runs an agency where they do SEO type stuff for online business folks. But um, he also runs a website that he, uh, I think he did with his wife called Cup and Leaf, I believe, where they were basically doing a, more or less a live case study of them building a website and getting it to rank for hot tea related topics. And then he has a, a personal site where he talks about business and personal growth and different things of that nature. And I really enjoyed his his writings. And um, I came across this article called Decomplication, and it's an older article of his. Um, but it really resonated with me, and I thought it was a great topic to share with everyone here that listens to this show because it's all about how we tend to overcomplicate things, especially things that we find difficult, like personal finance, and we add unnecessarily uh, unnecessary complexity to it. And it's all about how we should decomplicate things and kind of get back to the simplicity of it all. Yeah, I really like that concept because I'm so guilty of overcomplicating like everything. Yeah, I think I think we all are in a lot of ways. I think you and I definitely have a tendency to do that. Well, we like the process of overcomplicating. Well, I just want to make sure it's like the most efficient way possible. So I want to research, you know, it to death and make sure I'm doing the we absolute best. We efficiently make it inefficient. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I try to be, become so efficient that I waste a lot of time. Yeah. Um, overcomplicating something. But to kick off today, I think uh, I just want to read a couple of sections from the article and then we can talk about kind of where it shows up in our finances. So he says, most of the core problems us humans are trying to solve have been made artificially complex, losing weight, being wise with our money, living a productive life. But the solution to these are actually quite simple. We make things seem more complicated than they are to cope with our lack of willpower, past failures, or to try and sell people something. As humans, we're not good at making trade-offs. We're tired, but we also want to sleep less than eight hours. We want to be thin, but we also want to eat Oreos. We want to save money, but we also want to go out drinking. The solutions are simple, but we don't want them to be the solutions. I loved that part because I am I'm especially guilty of that with sleep. Yeah. And I've felt that even just like the last few months, even during the day, I'll be thinking to myself like, man, I just don't feel good. And like, I don't have energy and whatever, but I will have like sat up way too late, like the night before and not usually it's not for a good reason. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's like, okay, well you're getting like maybe five or six hours of sleep and then you're expecting 
to feel good. Yeah. And it's like, that's not how life works. Yeah. And, and you're sitting back wondering like, why do I feel so bad? I know. Why What's am I so wrong tired? with me? Maybe, uh, yeah. Yeah. You start like diagnosing yourself with things because you're, you're fatigued all the time. And it's like, no, you just need eight hours of sleep. We well, just don't like that. Well, and, and then, you know, we'll get into some of this, but most of the time our solutions don't go to, oh, I should just sleep more. Mm-hmm. It goes to like, oh, let me try this. Let me try this uh, vitamin B12. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. I, let me, let me inject Let me order this, this $65 supplement per yeah. month that'll totally give me more energy. Yeah. And yeah. So he, uh, which kind of perfectly goes, uh, goes in with what he says next. Cause he says, artificial complexity follows a predictable path. Step one. Problems start by having a simple solution that's easy to execute or a simple solution that's hard to execute. Step two, our frustration with following through on the simple solution causes us to challenge or ditch it, leading us to imagine more complex solutions. Step three, we buy things that promise to address the complexity and make it easy again. Going back to the sleep thing, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I get a ton of emails, like marketing emails, whether it's CBD oil, like specially formulated for sleep, or now there's some sort of device. I don't, I don't know if it's wavelengths or what well, it is. I but saw, and I saw some really popular, like really complicated, like um, mattress pads that run water through them. Oh, like the cooling the ones? The cooling ones. Yeah, there's like all sorts of fancy stuff that you can get for sleep now. It's really, it's insane. And, and not to disparage any of those things. I think there's probably a lot of legitimate things. And if you're going to pay for something and you're legitimately like, you know, have insomnia and stuff, I would definitely say that's something I'd be willing to pay for. But I think it starts with, unless you've got insomnia, like it starts with, for us, are we getting getting eight hours of sleep? Well, in a schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and even like if I stay up too late and then try to go to bed, like I have a harder time falling asleep. Like I kind of get that second wind. And so then I'll be tired, but I'll just lay there for a long time. And I, I don't know. So th- so much of it is just like being disciplined enough to have a schedule and mm-hmm. get in bed at a regular time and kind of have a wind down routine and everything. Um, and so, so many things in life that we try to overcomplicate are that way. It comes down to something really basic. Well, and, and obviously it's not just sleep. Like the reason we're talking about it on this podcast is because so much of the financial industry is built on literally these three steps. Finance is not that complicated, but it's very difficult. So it's simple, but, you know, difficult. And therefore, we tend to imagine that there must be some more complicated solution out there to solve all our money problems. And so then lots of companies are offering, um, you know, all these products and services to help us decomplicate the situation and, uh, you know, promise to solve these issues. And so much of the industry is built on this. And so much of it is built on like, just so much artificial complexity. Like, you know, we just went through the mortgage process and the whole thing just felt so insanely it cumbersome. It is so like, complicated. There's no way to know what so you're paying crazy. for in that. It's so crazy. And we were just talking about how many people are employed through the mortgage process. And it's really insane. Yeah. Well, and it, uh, again, I'm not I'm not trying to take away somebody's job, but it, it does start to feel a little goofy at some point of, how many people have to be involved in this for, you know, one person to sell something to another person? And I get it. Like, I know it would be easier if we were paying, let's say, cash for the house versus taking out a mortgage. But even still, you're talking about one person selling to another person who's borrowing some money from a bank. Mm-hmm. Like, at its core, it's not that complicated. But, you know, 
credit card statements, credit card interest, unnecessarily overly complicated. So many investment products, so overcomplicated. So much of the uh, execution of insurance products, extremely overcomplicated. And uh, one of the most interesting ones that you know I, I think about is like taxes. And to, to dive a little deeper here, when I was researching this topic, one of the things that I came up against that honestly we're probably going to do a whole episode on at some point, it's, okay, who's benefiting from all this complexity? And with taxes specifically, I came across this article that just kind of made me sick. So Intuit, which is the uh, the company that owns TurboTax and QuickBooks and a few other financial software tools, I uh, came across this article from them on ProPublica. And we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes. But basically, diving deep into how much money, time, effort, and ridiculousness um, that Intuit has spent lobbying the U.S. government to keep the U.S. tax code extremely complicated and not free. I'm going to read, uh, let me read this one little section from it. The article says, uh, Intuit's QuickBooks accounting product remains a steady moneymaker, but in the past two decades, TurboTax, its tax preparation product, has driven the company's steadily growing profits, and it's uh, made it a Wall Street phenomenon. When Smith took over in 2008, TurboTax was a market leader, but only a small portion of Americans filed their taxes online. By 2019, however, nearly 40% of U.S. taxpayers filed online, and some 40 million of them did so with TurboTax, far more than any other product. But the success of TurboTax rests on a shaky foundation, one that could collapse overnight if the U.S. government does what most wealthy companies did a long time ago and made tax filing simple and free for most citizens. For more than 20 years, Intuit has waged a sophisticated, sometimes covert, war to prevent the government from doing just that, according to an internal company and IRS documents and interviews with insiders. The company unleashed a battalion of lobbyists and hired top officials from the agency that regulates it from the beginning. Intuit recognized that its success depended on two parallel missions, stoking innovation in Silicon Valley while stifling it in Washington. It goes on to say that the centerpiece of Intuit's anti-encroachment strategy has been the free file program hatched 17 years ago in a moment of crisis for the company. Under the terms of the arrangement, the federal government, uh, Intuit and other commercial tax prep companies, promised to provide free online filing to tens of millions of lower-income taxpayers. In exchange, the IRS pledged not to create a government-run system. Since free files launch, Intuit has done everything it could to limit the program's reach while making sure the government stuck to its end of the deal. As ProPublica has reported, Intuit added code to the free file landing page of TurboTax that hit it from search engines like Google, making it harder for would-be users to find. But anyways, the uh, the article goes on and on to cite just a ton of back and forth between Intuit and the U.S. government and just going to show how their entire business model, more or less, especially with TurboTax, is based on keeping taxes extremely complicated and difficult to file so that then they can offer you this product that, you know, makes it simple, which is crazy. That is crazy. And it makes me think, I mean, it's different, but semi-related. Michael Pollan's writing and, you know, how he talks all about like lobbying in the food industry and, um, you know, how our food pyramid was the way it's structured is because of lobbyists. Yeah, it has nothing to do with... Health. What's actually healthy? Yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. But yeah, and 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 that's just you know the the tax thing with Intuit is just one example. Going back to the main point of okay, who benefits from keeping finances complicated? 
you don't. <laughs> like um, certain big companies do, other people might. People do benefit from keeping it complicated, but it's definitely not you, the listener, or me and you sitting at this table. So just trying to sort of have an open mind and recognizing when things are getting artificially complex is the first step, I feel like, in uh, being able to break through it and simplify to a more, you know, reasonable uh, level. Going back to the article for a second, he says, uh, we first create artificial complexity in our minds to explain our failures or shortcomings. It's not that your diet sucks, you don't exercise, you open yourself up to distractions, or you're not setting aside eight hours a night. It's that you haven't found the right trick yet. And and as a side note, to me, this is, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, marketers, when they're trying to sell you something, use words like tricks or hacks. It's because subconsciously, like our brains, we're looking for the quick, easy trick, hack, solution to these supposedly complicated problems. And it is really crazy how you can automatically slip into that way of thinking without realizing it, um, like way overcomplicating the solution to what's going on. Because mm-hmm. I just find myself doing that so much like, oh my gosh, I'm not being productive enough. Like what, what do I need to do? What sort of productivity system do I need to help me like yep. get back on track or, you know, whatever. And it's like, you don't need a productivity system. You need to go to bed at a good time, wake up earlier, exercise, and then get to work. Like, it's not that hard, not that you know? Hard. It's amazing how quickly my brain will automatically go to trying to find a complex and expensive solution before the obvious thing. Well, and I, I think, again, I think that's the reason this topic was so interesting to me is because I fall for it so often. I mean, going back to your productivity thing just a second ago, how many project management to-do list tools have you and I tried out now? Oh, gosh. Too like, many. at least six, at least six or seven, probably, um, to-do list tools to figure out how to run the business. And, yeah, I think the one we're using now is the best, but... At the end of the day, like, you just have to do stuff. Like, at the end of the day... <laughs> Doesn't matter what you know, list you Figure out on. what you need to do and then uh, go do it. Don't, don't get... It's so easy to get caught up, though. And like all the little intricacies. It is. Nat goes on to say, he says, um, recognize that businesses thrive on artificial complexity. Your mind is stuck in the box of this is hard and extremely complex. And so some company can come along and they move you into the this is complex, but thankfully I can pay someone to make it easy sort of box. Now he goes on to say, now this is not necessarily a bad thing. A good personal trainer, for example, can take the complex world of fitness and explain its simplicity and then teach you how to keep working out on your own. And, you know, really, this is our hope with Mapped Out Money. I mean, there are certain aspects about money that are, you know, tougher. Uh, Even if they're simple in theory, they're hard to execute. And so, you know, it's certainly our goal to try and break things down and make them more simple. And, you know, we run a business based on that. But I, I don't, I want to be very careful to where we never run a business that thrives on the complexity of finance and needs it to stay complicated in order to run our business. I think the second you start doing that, that's that's not where you want to be at all. Yeah, I agree. And this is, I don't know, tangentially related, I guess, but you talking about that makes me think too about the importance of recognizing like when you're getting information overload and you are trying to make things too complex. Mm -hmm. So I did this a few months ago with like nutrition stuff and I was reading all these nutrition books 
And I found myself getting so overwhelmed with the amount of information that I had taken in and like, oh my gosh, this is bad for you and that's bad for you and this is bad. And so I was like, I don't even know, what can I even buy? What can I even buy that's like healthy for us to eat? It's just feeling so frustrated and and basically like, you know, kind of analysis paralysis type thing. And I remember we were walking one day and I was like, you know, I think I need to take a break from reading nutrition books because at the end of the day, eating healthy, I mean, yes, like there, there are big things I know that make a big difference and, you know, like the types of oils that you're eating and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, but at the end of the day, for us to really improve our diet, we could really improve our diet, like just eating some salads and like grilling more. I don't need to way overcomplicate this right now because even if I just take some simple steps, that'll be a million times better than what we've been doing. It's not like we have to have it on point, all perfect right now. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Well, it's just you, when you go so deep down that rabbit hole and you really start looking at the way everything, what happens between like food being uh, either a plant or an animal and then ending up at the grocery store, you start to sort of realize like, oh my gosh, everything is poison. Like, I was about everything to say, is terrible. it kind of just starts feeling pointless and you're like, well, might as well just eat crap. Yeah, because it's and all crap. So I feel whatever. like that's exactly what people do with their budget too. Yes. A lot of times with, with managing money, like if people do decide to start looking into it, they start getting overwhelmed and then they think like, I could never do this. I might as well not even bother. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, and to your point with the, with the food, for us, again, with where we're at with our health, if we could just sleep consistently eight hours a night, grill some good food, not eat dessert more than, you know, once a week, like those three things alone and, and eat more salads would, you know, have a massive, massive. No, I like my desserts too much. I don't know. I don't know. But same thing with the budget, just like you said. Um, I think you can listen to podcasts and watch YouTubers and read blogs about all these people who are saving all kinds of crazy amounts of money and doing all this stuff. Um and compare that to, to what you're doing and feel like, I can't do anything. I may as well just sort of throw in the towel at this point. So it's, it's definitely, definitely easy to do that. Yeah, and that kind of ties in with Gary Keller's like the one thing. And when you feel yourself getting to that point, just like taking a step back and going like, okay, well, what one thing can mm-hmm. I do right now that will improve whatever area I'm trying to work on? And, and just really being conscious of when you start feeling that, overwhelm and overcomplication setting in and and deciding to go out of your way to simplify it back down. Yeah, that's perfect. And that, that aligns perfectly um, with what Nat says kind of here at the end of the article. You should sort of assess the difficulty of it, try to pull yourself out, be objective about it, and ask yourself the question, do I control the variables that are actually making this seem difficult? That's so smart. I know. <laughs> this says, is another one of my favorite points like, from the article. It, it is. And it, I mean, we do stuff like that all the time to sabotage ourselves. And then it makes it even harder to oh, do. I'm, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. I'm going to have this great day yep. or whatever. And then I'll stay up until 1 in the morning. And I'm like, okay, what did I just do? Yeah. If I if I am going to get up at 5 a.m., I just made it way harder way on harder. myself. But the chances are I'm just not even going to do it. Yeah. Well, and I think about that with the budget. Like if you're like, okay, I'm going to really, you know, cut back on this, you know, thing, or I'm going to try and really shore up my um, savings so that I can do this. But then you consistently put yourself in situations to be tempted to spend on the things that you're always the most tempted by. I was about to say, or you, like for me, I look at the budget and I go like, oh, I don't have any spending money, but I'll just go 
walk around TJ Maxx. I'll just, you know, <laughs> just for fun. And then, you know, obviously you've got to find a bajillion things that you love and would want to buy mm-hmm. and you have no money sitting there. And so then you're like wrestling with it there in the store. And it's like, no, just, you don't have any money to spend. Just don't go. No, it's the same thing. And, and, and you, again, you control the variables. Yeah. Stop making it harder on yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to kind of uh, take that and apply it to finance, um, one of the things we wanted to share was, you know, if you really break down all of, all of personal finance, all of managing your money, quote unquote, to, you know, live your dream, do what you want. It really comes down to two things. It's very simple. Spend less than you earn and then take the extra money and invest it into assets that grow your wealth. Sounds so easy. That's it. That's all you got to do. So simple, but so hard. So hard. Yep. There's so many distractions to take you off that path. So really the question comes down to like, what do you need in order to help you do those two things? Yeah. So do you need a budget? Do you need an anti-budget? Do you just need to track and kind of have a general idea of where things are going? Like, what do you need that's going to work for your situation? And making sure you're not overcomplicating things to try and make those two things happen. Like constantly remembering, okay, it's just these two things. So don't try to come up with the most complicated solution in the world. That probably means you don't need a quadrillion accounts. Maybe you need to simplify your setup and get down to just a couple of accounts. One checking, one savings, one credit card. Maybe if you are running a budget, you need to get down to fewer categories. You know, even we have a tendency to sometimes overtrack things because I, I get such I get so nerdy about it. But at the end of the day, like, is that really helping me or am I just sort of wasting time? You need simple investing strategies, simple insurance strategies. And and again, this goes back to another episode we're gonna do in the future, but if someone is trying to sell you some extremely complicated investment insurance like product or solution, be extremely, extremely wary of that. Most of the time when you have extremely complicated solutions, you're not winning when it comes down to it. So I really liked your your question of, you know, hey, what do I need to do to do those two things? Spend less than I earn and invest the excess. You know, what what do I need to do that's not complicated but helps me towards that? And sometimes it's a complicated process to kind of figure that out too. And and it does vary so much by situation because I know like for us, um, I mean, you know, when we were trying to figure out how to best manage our money together, obviously Dave Ramsey is huge and lots of people follow his method and like have a lot of success with it. And so when we considered that, we we're like, okay, maybe we should do like, cash envelope yeah, system. like legit cash. But, oh my gosh, that <laughs> felt so way overly complicated. And it's, I mean, it's a simple system. Yep. I get that. But the whole process of actually implementing that, yep. of like going to get cash and keeping up with cash and all of that feels way too overcomplicated well, and, for and our... Cash, cash these days is a funny thing too, because, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what you buy, I mean, at least... I don't know, probably 50% of the things that we spend our money on literally can't be bought in cash, right? Whether it's a mortgage payment or um, subscriptions online, like you literally can't pay for Netflix with cash. I guess you would do debit. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of like practically Actually going and an getting envelope. money and sort of running a physical envelope system, like you're still going to have some digital thing. We're just living in the world where 
It's just not possible. But, you know, to your point, that may work for some people. To us, that felt like ridiculously overcomplicated. Yeah. It also felt very dangerous with my empty hand syndrome and <laughs> tendency to just set, set things, things down, down wherever. Yeah. I don't need, I do not need cash money to lose. Copious of cash. Yeah. 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 We just had um, quite a bit of cash on us last week to pay the tree cutter guys uh, for cutting so down some trees cash. in our backyard. It was like a few th- thousands of dollars to cut down these trees. Well, what's funny, too, is that it had been so long since we had used cash for anything. So, of course, you know, the guy comes to look at the trees and he's like, I mean, you know, I'd prefer cash. And... Um, so going through the process to get going to the process of trying to get oh my gosh, cash, it was so hard. It was really difficult. It was Probably like a million ATMs oh trying to do all gosh. kinds of stuff. But I, I felt scared. I was like, "Oh my god, this is an we insane amount of money out. to yeah. just be holding." Yep. I don't like. We this. were like trying to find a safe place to put it, yeah. and like, oh gosh, I ended up putting it in a kitchen drawer. I don't know. <laughs> That's what he probably thought I was crazy. Like when he came in to get his money and I like opened a kitchen drawer and like pulled out, we had it in baggies and we had it like folded up into little piles. And oh, it was, it was ridiculous. We were both like panicked about it though. Yeah. Yeah. To us, that was complicated. Yeah. To somebody listening, they're like, that's goofy as I'll get out and they have, you know, all cash money all the time. But I don't know. That's stressful. So anyways, to, uh, to kind of try to, to, to wrap this up, don't, don't make finance overly complicated. Be really conscious of the variables that you can control and try not to make it more difficult than it needs to be. It really isn't uh, complicated. It's difficult because it's emotional and all the stuff we always talk about, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Think about things that make it simple and easy, not complicated and mm-hmm. easy because it, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Well, and not even necessarily, I don't know, like the easy part. Like, yeah, simplify down, but it might still be really yeah, hard. It might still be hard. Easier. But just don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, don't, don't make it difficulty. Don't make it hard and overcomplicated. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway. All right, but even though that is the takeaway, before we wrap up this episode completely, we need to get into the uh, stuff we like. You're talking about our uh, buddy read for stuff we like, aren't I you? I am. I'm talking about our buddy read. Um, so we just picked up, uh, it's a brand, brand new, it came out like last week, um, this book called The Practice by Seth Godin. And it's, um, it's for people doing what he calls creative work. And that sounds, I don't know, like it would be for like artists or musicians or, you know, YouTubers or something like that. But um, he defines creativity a lot broader than that and really comes down to like if you put work out into the world, um, whether you create something like what we do literally for YouTube or podcast or whatever, or you just create inside of your own job, um, but you're required to do some sort of creative thinking, problem solving. It's like a really good book for all that. And it's been really helpful, honestly, very similar to today's topic, because I tend to overcomplicate my process for coming up with podcasts or YouTube videos or any of this stuff. I overcomplicate it to the point that I procrastinate really bad on it. And this book is all about the practice and focusing on the practice. And he has so much good stuff. I mean, I could go on and on. And we may even do a whole episode on this at some point if it makes sense. But um, one little quote I wanted to share right from the, the first page of the book that I just loved. He says, the practice is not the means to the output. The practice is the output because the practice is all we can control. I just love that. And it's a concept, you know, I've heard before. 
of focusing on, you know, the things you can control rather than the output. But I really liked the way that he said it and the way that he, you know, kind of put it out there and laid it out. So I get so hung up in the output of a YouTube video or the output of our budget, how much we saved or the output of whatever it is we're doing. When in reality, I should be concerned with the practice, the craft of, you know, making a YouTube video and just doing it or the craft of getting up and managing our budget and just doing it and then letting the output fall where it may. One more thing that I was thinking about, it's kind of almost like a litmus test for figuring out if you're overcomplicating something, because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I don't always realize that I'm overcomplicating yeah, something. Yeah. And a pattern that I've recognized is that if I'm telling somebody about something, a lot of times when I get into the middle of telling them, I'll be like, holy crap, this sounds ridiculous. sounds ridiculous. Why have I made this so complicated? And I specifically remember that happening a couple of years ago. And we were talking to some RV friends of ours, and they're also like online business owners. And she was asking me about like our planning process. <laughs> and it was before we simplified it down at all. And so like I started trying to tell her about it and it just, I like got one like, what, we do twelfth this, of the way through. We do that, and yeah. We take this and we do this. And-, and then I was like, good Lord, why are we doing all this stuff? <laughs> like, we need to cut this down. Like I just felt ridiculous telling her. And yeah. I remember I kind of like skipped over a bunch of stuff and, and I was like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's, yeah, like that's basically what we do. Not those other eight steps in the middle that I well, and over. it's funny you say that too because I remember putting that planning because uh, that planning sort of procedure together when we were like, yeah, we need to do planning. Oh gosh! Uh, but what I did is I literally found like probably seven different people that and just I combined all I did. I, I was like, oh, I like their planning process and I like their and so I literally rather than taking a couple of things from each and making my own, I literally just took all of them. <laughs> And was like, this is our planning process. <laughs> I so get it. That's I tend to do that too. It is really hard for me not to do things that way. So yeah, that's a that's a good one. But yeah, so if you're if you um, do any kind of any kind of work like that, any any sort of creative work that requires you to think or um, you know solve interesting problems, then uh, maybe check out that book. I'm really enjoying it. It's it's kind of an interesting. The way he wrote it is like it has 120 something chapters in it. But most chapters are less than a page. So it's basically just these little bitty bite-sized nuggets of thoughts. Um, and I've really liked it. All right. Well, before we overcomplicate this episode, <laughs> you want to give us a quick summary? Yeah. So the first is just recognize that artificial complexity exists. And you should try to be very wary of not falling into it. And remember that uh, you don't win from complicating personal finance. So keep it simple. Spend less than you earn, take that extra money, and invest it into assets that grow your wealth. Those two things are all you need. It's simple, not easy, but uh, if you're struggling to push through the not easy part of this, definitely be sure to check out our episode number 27 of this podcast, which is all about pushing through sort of the budgeting funk when you're trying to um, do it, and it just, uh, just doesn't seem to be working out for you. So that's it. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we will see y'all next week.